Over the next two weeks, I'd like to look at this passage of Scripture. So we're not going to cover absolutely everything today. In fact, we'll cover some of it this week and some of it next week. There, there are two verses which I think sum up everything that's in this chapter. And one of them we'll look at tonight and the next we'll look at next week. The one that we want to mainly focus on this evening, or I want to mainly focus on this evening, is verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And next week we'll look at kind of how that works out in everyday life in verse 11 where Paul talking to Timothy says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. There are actually two sides of the same coin. What is it that Paul is talking about when he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We've sung some really wonderful songs this evening, which, which bring out this idea wholly in terms of the fact that we as Christian people are to be focused on God and living for him. And, and yet it's difficult, isn't it? Because we struggle with wondering what is it that we get out of this sort of stuff. What is it that is our motivation for doing things? And Paul here in this chapter, as he has throughout the book, is saying to Timothy, through Timothy to the church at Ephesus, and to us, that what is gain for us is godliness with contentment. In other words, if you, if you put it, godliness here is, is, the, is, is what the focus is all about. In fact, he says his great gain is godliness. That's it. That's the centre. And be content with that in terms of your understanding of your position as a child of God. That is the answer. Godliness. If, if we look at the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your strength, heart, soul, mind, etc. God's number one. Worship him only. You know, those, whichever one you take in New Testament, as it sums it all up, that's the centre point. All the rest are telling you all the things that you in some ways don't do in opposition to that. All the other things which might get in the way of that kind of pushed away to the side. If you like the last one, don't covet anything, is kind of saying, you know, be content with what you got. Love God. Jesus puts it this way seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you as well. All these other things, they come after that. They're secondary. Daryl this morning, sorry, Pastor Daryl this morning, as he was talking, he gave the example of the rich young ruler. Jesus, he came and said, what do I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, well, love God with all your heart and strength and soul and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. Go do that. Give to the poor. You know, all the commandments. Keep them. He said, well, I've done that. I've done all of that. And Jesus says, well, yeah, but, you know, hold on. As he looked at him, you've still got all this cash that's between you and God. There's this which is the focus of your attention. You still think this is really important. 
And he went away because that was the important thing to him. Paul here in this passage is saying, Godliness is it. Godliness is it. I don't know how more simply to say that. He, he goes in the passage beforehand and talks about those who teach false doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound teaching of Jesus. And often when we do that, we worry about people who say that Jesus isn't Lord or we say who he didn't raise from the dead and all those things. They're pretty easy to deal with, those sorts of things which are against the gospel. But he brings it up again and again and again because these people obviously were within the church, they were part of the fellowship and they were acting and saying things which were against the sound instruction of Christ. And the things that he says about them are terrible. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words resulting in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction. He says that they are people with corrupt minds. They can't think straight. They've been robbed of the truth. And it, it enters him into this, this whole thing that he's about to talk about. He says they think godliness is a means to financial gain. Their Christian life, the basis of what in the end causes their false doctrines in what he's saying here, is that their godliness, their life with Christ, leads to financial gain. He says that's where they fall into error. And that's when he makes his next statement, godliness with contentment is great gain. Why is it that we get motivated to do things? In some ways, that which is important to us becomes the central focus. Throughout history, we find of all these people who, who add on something beyond loving Christ and doing what he says as the purpose of the gospel. We can pick out some really easy ones, things like the prosperity doctrines that come out. If you are acting in a godly way, then you will be blessed. You will have good health or you will be prosperous. What's wrong with that? Does God bless godly people? Yes, he does. Not always, but often as you read through the scriptures, those people who act according to his will and his word in this world receive his blessing. Do we act, therefore, in that way for the purpose of receiving these things? As soon as that becomes our attitude, we're doing this to get financial gain. And what does Paul say? He says, you're nuts. You've got a corrupt mind. You're conceited. You think that it's all, if you like, about you. You've, you've taken the truth of the scripture and you've moulded it and you've pushed it so that that becomes the end, that becomes the gain. What is the purpose of following Jesus Christ? It's so that I get blessing and prosperity in this world. That's wonderful. He says that's, that's a corrupt way of thinking. You're conceited. In fact, the Greek word says you're puffed up, you're blowing smoke is basically what it means. That's The word means smoke and puff, so you're blowing smoke when you say sorts of things like that. But it, it doesn't just have to do with prosperity. It's when anything takes the place that the end product that we're aiming for in our Christian life is godliness. And we're content 
with that. You just have to go to those poor places, you know, go to Africa and listen to the to the to the preaching. It's not just about prosperity and wealth, but it might even just be liberation, freedom. You come to Jesus Christ, he will set you free. You'll be elevated to a position where you are actually free within society and everything else. So that the point that you come to Jesus Christ ends up not being knowing God and keeping that relationship with God. It becomes from that I develop freedom, liberation from all sorts of different things. It might be disease, it might be poverty, it might be slavery, it might be a whole range of issues. But let's not be too upset. This is, this is where things get a little hairy, I think, for me and for you as we're talking about this. Let's not be too upset with our prosperity theologian people and our liberation the- theologian people and say they're the ones who are the only ones who go off target with this. What about us evangelicals? And we say to someone, if you really want to have fulfilment and happiness in life, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and he'll fill that spot within you which is empty and you'll be filled with love. Why do we come to Jesus? Because we want love. Why do we come to Jesus? Because godliness in and of itself is great gain. Does that mean that we do not have love? We do not have a fulfilled relationship, etc., etc.? We do not have blessing in that? No, it doesn't mean that. God promises many of those things. But our reason for coming to Christ is that we might know him and live for him. That is great gain in and of itself. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say, that with contentment, that's it. He says, all right, there are a couple of things you want as well. You've got to have enough food to eat and you've got to have clothing. And the word can mean shelter. Protection from the elements, food, with that and godliness, that's enough. Knowing God, obeying God, and those two things is enough. I can be content with that and I have great gain. Now, when he says you're not hungry, in other words, you've got enough food, he's not meaning I had a burger at 12 and it's now half past seven, I'm hungry. It's not that sort of hunger. He's saying you get enough to sustain you. If you've got that and I know Christ and I'm living to serve him, that's enough for me. When he says you've got clothing, he doesn't mean, you know, you can say, well, you know, everything I have at the moment makes me look fat. I don't have enough clothing. No, everything you've got makes you look fat, probably because you are fat. But (laughs) you don't need more clothes, you're covered. You've got enough, you've got shelter. You've got what you need if you have... Christ, if you know him and you're living to serve him, that's enough. He goes on after this and he says, well, think about it. You came into the world with nothing and you go out with nothing. Came in naked. Now, they might dress you, but basically you disappear. You don't have those clothes. Come in naked, you go out naked. You leave everything behind. Whatever it is that you say is the reason why I'm going to follow Jesus, if it's not just to follow Jesus, it gets left behind. Money, which is the big deal because basically lots of things flow from that. Power, prestige, wonderful relationships with your family. 
beautiful memories, fulfillment in your job, peace in your home. It's all gone. It lasts for that period of time. You come in naked, you go out naked. He's saying, if you think about that, any of those things, if they end up being the centre, the reason that you're seeking to follow Jesus, if you put them and elevate them as your reason for life, you've got a corrupt mind. You're nuts. Because they're all gone. Relationships are over. People say, well, I live on in their memories. And then they die and even those are gone. They might have your memories, but if you aren't living for Jesus in that time, I, I, be honest, their memories of you don't quench the judgment of God. He's saying you come in with nothing, you leave with nothing. Think about it. What's the only thing that's going to last in there? Your relationship with Christ. How you've lived for him. You want to know great gain? Make sure that that has got it all together. He goes on, and we'll talk about this more next week. He says, flee all of this covetousness where you want something else besides living for Jesus and pursue, what do you pursue? Faithfulness, godliness, love, all the things that Christ says, this is how you're to live. Why? Because that's all that lasts. Nothing else lasts except for that. And we fall into so many subtle traps. I know that I do. Of trying to put all these other things and put them into places and, and rejoice because they are blessings of God and yet hold too tightly onto them. Because I actually feel that the value of following Christ is in those things. Paul in this passage says we begin to argue over words and the meaning of words and everything else when we get this out of sync. What happens? Because what is the gain that I perceive to be what I want to follow changes my whole understanding of what it means to follow Christ because whatever he said has to fit in so that I get that. I mean, think about this in, in a whole range of ways. Let me do an, a gross comment. Not gross as in really sick and bad, but gross as in, in one sense, an extreme. And then I'll come to a minor thing where we do this. Let's do it in gross. Talking to somebody and they say, hey, you know, I need fulfilment in having a relationship that is satisfying. That's what God wants for me. He wants me to be in a relationship which gives me fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. But I'm not in that at the moment. I, I don't think I'm married to someone, but I'm not getting any of those things. But I know that's what God wants for me. And so we take scripture and we bend it a little bit and we move this word and it doesn't mean this and it doesn't mean that and I have my out and I can leave and I can walk off somewhere else. We do that in terms maybe of our sexuality. 
We, we change the meaning of words and say, it, well, it did mean it back there, but that's not what he meant because things have changed. We do it in terms of roles within families and all sorts of things. They're, they're all things that the church has fights and arguments and, and disagreements over with all of these words because in many cases this goal that we have, this gain that we want in happiness, in relationships, in power, in money and whatever else it is that we want means that we keep bending the word of God until that becomes the output of following him and we can keep these two together happily. But we do it in subtle ways too. I was talking to someone just the last couple of days, someone I admire greatly, someone I respect as a Christian, someone whom I think as an example of Christ, they are someone I can point to and say, you need to follow this person. They know their scriptures. I care about this person. They are someone who knows Jesus and loves Jesus. They're concerned for a friend of theirs who needs to change house. He's a guy. So they came and they asked, you know, I've got a couple of friends, one of them is a girl, and they've got a spare room in their house. Why don't I get this male friend of mine? He can go and share a house with them. And I said, well, what sort of witness is that for Jesus? What sort of witness would that give for these people to share a house together? But he won't do anything. And it's a cheap place for him to stay. It'll be all right. It'll be good. God doesn't say anything about that, is kind of the, the comments that were coming out. And it's only as you begin to talk to her, what does God say about our witness before the world and all those other sorts of things that the lights all come on? Yes, that's not the way we should live. We subtly put these other things that are out there as what we want to gain out of life. And we put them as outcomes of knowing Christ instead of being satisfied with the outcome of knowing Christ as is. That is great gain. These other things are blessings and they come away and that is absolutely fantastic. We're going to get more to this next week. Paul says, great, that's great. God gives us all this stuff for our enjoyment, now share it. Move it on. Use it in his kingdom. Why? Because the focus is, what is it that brings us eternal life? What's the point of having blessing and wealth when our focus becomes that instead of Jesus. Jesus tells stories about this, doesn't he? He says, people are going to rock up and they said, Lord, Lord, I knew you. I did all these things in your name. He says, I didn't know you. I wasn't the focus. You weren't doing things for me. I don't know who you are. I, I don't know who you are. Because I wasn't what you hope to gain out of this. And it's so easy to do. The first two verses which we didn't read, let me read them to you. It says this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the, verse two, the first two verses. 
All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. And then he goes on talking about false doctrines. Now, it's, I don't want to get into a discussion of slavery. We can have that discussion at some other time. What was basically happening was that there were slaves within the church and they were starting to raise questions about how they should act. And if you look at both of the questions that they do, they have to do with what is right and proper in terms of what I gain out of the gospel in my work. I might be working for a hard taskmaster, a terrible master. Why should I respect them? I am not getting that which I deserve in Christ Jesus. I'm free. I'm equal. I'm valuable. I'm a child of God. This is what I want out of my relationship with Christ. And we would all go, Amen. Hey, it seems pretty reasonable to us, right? Paul says, Respect your masters. Why? That's what God says to do. He's put them in place over you. Respect them. And what happens is an outcome of that, he is glorified. Yeah, but I have a terrible job. My boss has got the brain of a pea. And I have to work under him and respect him. I mean, I don't know, have you ever been, I worked in schools. Any teachers here? What rises to the, no, I was a principal too, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's had a boss. Often we think that incompetence rises, you know, cream, incompetence, compost, whatever it is, rises to the top. And we work under people and we, we, we know that we're either smarter than them, more worthy than them, or they don't love Jesus and yet why are they getting all of this sort of stuff? And we think, you know, if we're following Christ then one of the benefits of, of knowing Jesus is that he puts us in our right position. He uses our gifts and we get benefits from it. And Paul says, so. He has told you a few things to do. One of them is respect your bosses. One other is to work hard. Just do it. Do that. He's not making a comment on whether slavery is good or bad or any of those other things. He says, do your job. That brings glory to God, and that is important. It's the important thing. I talk to students who say, well, look, I'm really struggling in my studies, but that's okay because I'm working in the youth group and I'm really praising God here. And, you know, I, that's more important than doing this, which I've made a commitment to. Paul would say, nah. Your witness before the world, being faithful, into those things where you put yourself under a particular authority, that's what you do, do it. Do it. But I'm not fulfilled in that tough. Tough. Be obedient. The second example he gives there is that the slaves say to their masters who are fellow Christians, we're equal. You know, I should, we should, you know, hi bro, 
Yeah, I know you told me to hoe the field, but you know I'm a little tired today, and look, you're my brother in Christ. Chill. Paul says, you've got no right to do that. He's your boss. But it's even worse than that. In obeying him and doing what he says, not only do you bring glory to God, but you bring glory to him, and he's your brother in Christ. You bring glory to the body of Christ. Work even harder. Even though he's your brother in Christ, you think he should cut you some slack? Do it even more. Because gain is for the body of Christ. That's an absolutely fantastic thing. It's beautiful. And the slaves are going, you've got to be nuts. In so many small ways as I look at my life, I, I kind of want to move the boundaries and the barriers in some ways that God has set down for this narrow pathway to walk because I get stuff out of it, this relationship with Christ. And I do get stuff out of this relationship with Christ. I am blessed beyond anything I can possibly think or imagine. My needs are met. I have a wonderful family. I've got a great job, all those sorts of things but they are not the gain from knowing Christ. The gain from knowing Christ is knowing Christ. And that's enough. That's why if things happen to your family, you lose your job, your house gets burnt down, your parents get sick, you lose your spouse, all those other sorts of things, you can still say, as Job did, naked I came into the world, naked I go out. I'll bless God. Knowing him has all the value. And people say, how do we live like that? Paul says, how can you not live like that? Anything else is nuts. And the world says you're foolish. Paul says you're foolish if you don't live like that. We've sung these songs. I don't know if you're listening to two songs beforehand. They basically said exactly the same thing. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything else, whether I'm in plenty or want, nothing else really has value except for Christ. Now Paul isn't, um, just, 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 this is the writer so you don't fall into all the fairy. He's not saying that you can't have a good job. He's not saying you can't have good relationships. He's not saying that God doesn't bless you, blah, 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 blah. What he's saying, that number one is Christ, God. Knowing him, living for him, that is it. Jesus says, if you love me, hate your family. I am your all in all. He says, that is what I call you to. Then you know me. Application for us. Why are we here? Why do we come and worship God? I want you just to examine yourself for a moment. I don't want you to take away the fact that we, we have fellowship, which is wonderful. Love, which is fantastic. And all the other blessings that God gives us. 
But why do we come to worship? Why do we want to know Christ? Examine our motivations. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you put any other motivation higher than just the fact of knowing Jesus, Paul says you're a fool. He says this, and he uses the example of money. But I think you can pop into here anything else that you might put into that place of the fact that I come to worship God because I want to know God. I come to worship God that I might live a life worthy of Christ. For what purpose? That I might know God and that I might live a life worthy of Christ. That's why I do it. He says, you know, people have wanted to get rich as why they live a godly life. Not just in wanting to get rich at all. He's not talking about people like Packer who don't love God anyways. He's talking about people who seek from their life of following God to get rich in whatever way it is or whatever it is that we want out of it. He says if, if that was their aim, that in this following after God, in the seeking to live a godly life, they wanted to get rich. He said people who want that fall into temptation and they fall into a trap. And they fall into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Very interesting there, those two words, ruin and destruction. Ruin is, it has this, this, this meaning of ruin, if you like, in this life. Paul says those people who aren't seeking to follow God or actually have other motivations in why they either come together into the church or why they seek to live a godly life, they fall into ruin in this life. Because it doesn't work that way. Christ has to be the centre. But the word destruction is much greater than that. The word destruction is not just in life's life, but in the life to come. It's destruction in terms of eternity. Those people who seek to gain something other than Christ, other than a life of godliness. They're not followers of God. They're not followers of Christ. And the end result for them is destruction. He says, for the love of money, here is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, this is his example, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many kinds of grief. The whole idea here is someone who shoots themselves in the foot, if you like. They follow off after the wrong thing and they fall into traps of their own making and they're like piercing themselves with daggers. Self-inflicted. Why? Paul previously, they've got a corrupt mind. They've exchanged, if you like, what was great gain for something that maybe was a blessing from God if you follow him, but that's not the end result. That's not the purpose. And they fall into traps. 
So what I'd like us to do this evening is just to examine ourselves. I found it difficult examining myself during the week and looking at the changes that are very subtle in my life. When I was back and young and thin and all those sorts of things, living uh, on the north side, went to church, went to Ashgrove. So this is, we're talking 25, 20 years ago. Right? A young fella. Sylvia and I were struggling. We just married. We wouldn't accept help from anybody. We worked two, three jobs. We studied full time. We ate meat once a week. We were in Bible studies. We were really keen for Jesus. We had finally saved up. I can never remember now whether it was $1,000 or $5,000 for a holiday. We'd saved this up. We were going to do it. And unfortunately for us, some missionary rocked up to the church and said, we want to send pastors out to somewhere in Sudan and we need, and the amount they wanted was the exact amount that we'd saved up over a year or a year and a half. We're keen for Jesus. The, the most important thing was loving Jesus. So we went, we emptied our bank account, we gave them the money and said, sure. It wasn't a problem. Jesus was it. You know, if a missionary came today and, and said the exact amount of the money that I have in the bank now, yeah, it'd be a little harder. Why? It's a lot more money, number one. Security as you get older means a little bit more. I don't plan to retire because I've got years and years and years before I have to do that. But it is going to come, etc., etc., etc. It's tougher. It's harder to look at the motivation and say, you can have my money. It'd be really tough to do that. Why should the amount make any difference? And the answer is it shouldn't. And people will say to me, well, yes, but you have to be careful because you have to be careful with your money, you have to prepare for the future, all of these other sorts of things. If I thought this is what God wanted, it shouldn't be a hassle for me because following God is great gain and nothing else should matter. I might not be certain that's what God wants and I can step back from that, but I have to be honest with you as I've searched through my heart and thinking about this. If someone came and asked for that exact amount, I don't think I'd feel God telling me that's what he wanted. <laughs> I love my dad. My dad's a wonderful guy. Right? He's gone. He's overseas at the moment working as a missionary. He's 70. He's got arthritis. He's got asthma and all sorts of other things. And yet he still goes and does it. He told me that if God called him to the Sudan, he would expect written with a finger of fire in the heavens, Barry, I want you to go to Sudan. And then he would question whether it was God's handwriting. <laughs> because that was not what he wants to do. We all struggle with this, don't we? There is something beyond just knowing Christ. It doesn't mean that we can't have desires. We can have desires for education, relationships, all these other things. And they're great things. And, and we're going to get to this next week. Enjoyment from God. He gives them. He's a, bless, he's a blessed God. He gives us wonderful stuff. Let us make sure 
that what we consider great gain in this life, for the life to come and for now, is knowing Jesus. And that's it. Nothing else. Everything else will fade away. We came in naked, we're going out naked. And if you think anything else is going to count at all, you're nuts. Last point. Maybe there are people who aren't Christians here. And you've, you've listened to what I've said and you've thought, man, that sounds weird. What you're basically saying is that all those things that humankind have within them to desire have to take second place to Jesus. That doesn't make sense. I should be happy if I know Jesus if I'm poor. I should be happy if I know Jesus if I have no friends. I should be happy if I know Jesus if everything in my life goes pear-shaped. That's what you're saying. That's nuts. Yep. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. And in this world, that's nuts. Absolutely. No question. What Paul says is, if you think about things with God in the picture, to do anything else is nuts. If that isn't your focus, when you go out of this world, leaving behind everything that you've achieved. And I'm not saying that you don't find contentment in those other things. People always say, well, rich people are never happy. I've met rich people who are happy. People say, a relationship's not enough unless you know God. I've got happy relatives. They've got wonderful families. They're content. It's not true contentment. I don't know. They seem pretty happy and content to me. But there'll come a time when that's over. It's done away with. Their partner dies. They die. It's gone. What was there for a brief moment of time, a growing of grass is blown away. Paul says, yeah, you can put all these other things in place, but God is the only gain that lasts. Not just for now, but for all eternity. So the nutty thing to do is not to take account of all of that. So if you're not a Christian, if you haven't followed Jesus, have a think about that. Talk to people around who have found contentment in Christ alone. And understand that they have a future for all eternity with great gain of Christ Jesus. If you don't have him, you die. And then you have an eternity without God. And the words it uses are ruin and destruction. Throughout the history of the church, they've used the word hell, judgment. It's a, it's a horrible thought. The scriptures are very clear. Without God, that's the end. And Paul says, think about that. What is great gain? Knowing Christ. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, let's realign our thinking. Jesus number one. If anything else is taking that top place, put it aside. You want to follow Jesus? To follow Jesus. You want to love God? love God. That is wonderful. 
to know him and to keep his law. Let's pray.